Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Tuesday, January 12th. Uh, college football season's over. Um, Clemson played Alabama in the national championship game, as we well know. Um, and unfortunately, we picked up our first loss of the season. Um, but otherwise, life is still very good. Um, I'm your host, Nick Tully. I'm coming to you guys remotely today from Seattle, Washington. And joining me is Cody back at headquarters in San Francisco. Cody, how are you feeling today? I, I don't feel good. I feel like I've you know been punched in the gut. It's only been 24 hours. Um, I feel like it'll it'll get better as time goes by. Like we'll feel less like we've been punched in the in the gut. But right now, like uh, there's a hangover, both really physically and, and metaphorically. There, it's it, it's a t- it's been a tough day. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, you know, I, I had the privilege to go to the game, and it was a very good experience. I also had the privilege today to go sit in an airport with tons of Alabama fans um, with, you know, smiles on their face and high fives going on. So um, that was challenging. But um, before we get into that, our third host, Ben, is flying back from the game. He was down there with us as well. He couldn't join us, but um, we will be catching up with him on our next show to get his thoughts and reactions. Um, But this one, Cody, I think, you know, talking about it being a gut punch, for me, it feels like that's the case because we had the lead in the fourth quarter. Like it's it's not that we um, were outclassed, outplayed throughout the course of the game, and this was like a blowout or anything that a lot of people expected. I mean, the final point spread settled in around seven points. It was that we had that hope, we had that glimmer of a moment of man, we can win this darn thing. And I think that's probably for me at least where most of the disappointment comes. Not only that, and we'll get into this, but the manner in which we lost and the manner in which they were able to put up forty-five points on us. Yeah, the narrative going into the game, and we heard this so much. And that ten days felt like it was a you know a hundred days. Right. But you heard you heard how you know all the all the analysts or a good majority of them were picking Alabama. You know, Vegas had Alabama. You heard about how they're going to dominate us on their defensive line. You know, heck, even we said I think they're going to have a lot of success. Right. Um, we were predicting them to win in the trenches, but we thought that you know we could overcome that anyway. And I you know I think other than our straight up between the tackles running game, I feel like our, our both lines played out of their minds this game. Exactly. And that's kind of where I was going is that we, the narrative going into the game was, was completely disproved. Uh, we, I think our offensive line played probably their best game of the year. Our defensive line showed that it is right there. It's not as good as Alabama's defensive line. It's right behind it. We dominated the best offensive line um, in, in college football. On so many different levels, so many different players were so good. And like you said, it's not, you know, I've been a sports fan my whole life, and I think if you're tuning in right now, you're probably a hardcore sports fan. So, you know, don't give me the whole it's just a game, you know, shtick, because <laughs> it, it, it means it means something more. We're Clemson football fans. You're passionate. Yeah. If you're an FCS guy, you're probably you're passionate more than the, the normal guy. So we care. And this game, it, it hurts, man, because it's one thing if we would have got knocked off the line of scrimmage, and they, if they were just dominating us in the churches from, from the um, early going, and we knew we were going to lose, I think we could have accepted it. Hey, they're a better team than us. But in almost all phases, uh, we were better than them. Maybe not a lot better, but we were better than them. Yeah, I mean, I think one phase, you probably didn't mean to lump this in, but um, I'd say there's one glaring phase where they, they had our number and that's special teams. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I guess we've already, we're already talking about where Clemson might have had an edge, I definitely think in, in the line game. And hearing about Alabama's front seven, you know, I think we, you and I probably bought into the narrative, maybe even a bit more than our co-host Ben, about Alabama's front seven and then being like historically good and you know, they're going to blow us up. We put, we put 40 points up on that, that defense. And that's something that I know, I think Ole Miss put 43 up on them earlier in the year, but um, I would say we almost had a more impressive offensive performance we didn't have five turnovers um, to go in our favor like Ole Miss did. So that just, like you said, goes to show how out of their minds the O-line played. But really, for me, that comes down to how awesome Deshaun Watson was. 
Right. We we said he's going to have to look at NFL player, and he's going to have to make passes that he hasn't made all year. And at least we got that part right because he looked amazing. You, you mentioned uh, before the game like how they're going to have to move the pocket uh, to give him some, uh, allow him to be mobile and, and roll to his right and make plays. And he did. Yeah. He looked like Aaron Rodgers. He, he was unbelievable. And I think at this point, if if he didn't prove. If he hasn't proven already that he's the best quarterback in the nation, he, he has now. He's not only that, he's the best player in the nation. Um, you know, step aside, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette. He's he's the kind of the, the guy that's going to be um, the front page guy uh, for college yeah. football next year. But also, he, he's propelled, I think, he's propelled himself into like a status of best player, um, in terms of best quarterback franchise level, like professional now, I think. I think he's going to get that, like, that billing as the number one draft pick. Anyway, going back to him, though, he was unbelievable. He had his best game of the year, in my opinion. And and you know all these things that went in your favor. You mentioned special teams didn't. But for all these things that we did so well, well, uh, where we really outperformed expectations and just still come up short, that's why it's big so much. Yeah, I agree fully. I think to get a 405-yard passing performance, um, he ended up net with 73 yards rushing. I think he was in the 90s, um, if you take away sacks, most of which came in the, the very end of the game. But... Um, you know, to, to have that type of offensive performance, put up 40 on this Bama team and, and not have that be enough, um, just that's brutal. And I think now is where we can look at those 45 points and kind of break that down a little bit and say, I mean, how many of those points came on broken coverages, um, Derrick Henry's long run of 50 yards, and then the special teams touchdown? I mean, I think it was probably four touchdowns, right, if not, if not five. <clears throat> yeah, just the, the chunk plays and, of course, special teams. You never want to lose a game by special teams, but they had two just miraculous plays that, again, one of the narratives is how brilliant of a coach Nick Saban is, and I don't think – I don't really think you have to be that brilliant of a, of a coach to make that decision. You just have to be a you know very – it was a very ballsy call. Yeah, um, and, and I, and I it, want to it, give them it, credit it worked out for that. Favor, right. so. Yeah, and I, I think they ahead. were saying – Nick Saban had a quote like they were watching how tightly our our kick coverage formation was, and um, or not kick coverage, but you know our kickoff coverage was, and how tightly like they he's like we could have called an onside kick at any moment, and he was just waiting for the right moment. Um, you could call it out coaching or just you know lack of discipline, but that's something that that onside kick was just a killer. I guess one thing I want to talk about or ask you. We, I read a little bit of like you know conspiracy theory or controversy here. Um, apparently, and I'm not exactly sure what the rule is, but apparently that onside kick was meant to it needed to touch the ground for that to be a live ball, an illegal ball for Alabama to pick up. Um, have you heard that? Do you know if that's the rule? Yeah, it was. Um, I think in the South Carolina game, and I'll be honest, I haven't really dumped it or dived in. Excuse me to all of the. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Clemson fans haven't either. Um, you don't want to dive into ESPN.com right now and be reminded of what happened. But, so I haven't really done all my research, but I think the, uh, the, what I've read is the, the player has a right to the ball. And in that case, um, can't remember who it was for Clemson didn't have a chance to, to, to fair catch the ball. And, and because of that, it should have eventually went to Clemson, but I, I don't know. I, and I don't think it matters. Um, at the end yeah. of the day, like there was a, I mean, what, what a kick you saw our, our onside kick at the end of the game was horrible. Uh, that, that kicker just laid it out perfectly. I mean, our, I've seen way worse onside kick tries than the one that Greg Hugel put out there. Um, you know, he got the bounce. I just think it, it it jumped out of bounds too quickly. That was right there to be be pulled down by a Clemson player. But by that point, I mean, 12 seconds left. Like, you're going to get a Hail Mary. And I'm sure there were some North Carolina fans somewhere chuckling about, you know, Clemson dying by the onside kick after what happened at the end of that ACC title game. But um, you just smile and move on from that play. Um, and maybe to wrap right. up the potential controversial calls, there was also, and I think this is actually a legitimate gripe, um, there were 15 seconds left at the end of the first half after we'd gotten a first down to move it within the 30. And um, right there, it's supposed to stop at 15 ticks. The clock operator did not stop, so they discovered that the refs, without checking anything, put nine seconds back on the clock and then wound the game clock. So Clemson had to burn its timeout because um, we wouldn't have been able to spike it, run a play, and then, you know, if that failed, bring the field goal unit out in nine seconds. 
Um, so those six seconds in the interim, that's, that's a perfect amount of time to get more yardage or take a shot at the end zone. Um, with the way that Hunter Renfro is grabbing balls, I feel like, you know, at least a coin flip, yeah. we might have been able to get some more yards or a score there. Um, super frustrating, and I feel like you talk about just these little moments against a really solid program like Alabama. You know, you can't let too many of these slip through. Right, and I mean, it's fair to, to think like that because, man, that would have – there was still, even like with a minute left, as we went under 60 seconds, there was just a, something in me that thought if anybody could pull this out, it's, it would be Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, yeah th- those, certain, those certainly hurt. But, you know, now that I could take a little bit of a step back, uh, not a large step back, but a little step back, what, what really hurt is for the chunk plays that the uh, kickoff return and, and obviously uh, and, and Deshaun Watson's interception in the first, in the first half. Yeah. So that that matters a lot less. But I will say your good friend Dan, who um, is a uh, you know friend of the podcast and goes, comes to our comes to our alumni bar, he's you know former Washington grad. So yeah. he mm-hmm. he knows how bad the Pac-12 refs are. And he said the whole game he said they're going to screw up. He just kept saying they're going to at some point you're going to they're going to their true colors are going to are going to show through. So uh, granted, they actually for the most part I think the refs did a fabulous job. Maybe that little bit of mismanagement there at the end. So but they're again, letting I, I they're to... letting them play, especially in the passing game. And I thought that led to a, a pretty compelling game. Like it was entertaining. Um, you know, they're right. letting and guys do their thing. They weren't throwing PI calls all over the place. So and, and the ones that they called and Clemson drew a few were we, you know we looked at the replays and you know they were right and they got the call. One of them was late. One of them was a very late call. They the ref needed the crowd to convince him a little bit to. To throw the flag that he did, and it was the right call. So I, I have to say, you know, we can't be like you know some fans that are griping over the refs. Um, yeah, we, we know that's not what that, that's not what this came down to. Right, like the refs didn't lose this game. Even those points at the end of the first half would have been nice, but I think a turnover and then just lapses, both on special teams and the the chunk yardage. Um, you know, tight end for Alabama um, just played out of his mind, and that was someone that they. I mean, he was. Former five-star, like people called him basically a bust of a five-star, uh, but they, they found a way to get him going. It was O.J. Howard. He went for 208 yards on five catches, like averaging 42 yards as a yeah. tight end. Like, insane. But that, I, I think the most... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You're going back to their, their tight end, I think the most compelling part of the game, and I'm not, you know, I'm probably not going to touch this film all season. <laughs> I can't imagine diving back into it. I just, I can't, but... The most um, compelling part of the game, if you're a real fan, is Brent Venables versus Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin, you know, he called a hell of a game. I think Brent Venables had a hell of a, a counter to what he was bringing to the table. Um, the one area that they knew we had the biggest weakness because Mackenzie Alexander was down. We had to have Adrian, uh, we put Adrian Baker in there. Um, TJ Green, um, I, you know, we'll, we'll probably circle back to him. Uh, he looked lost at times. I don't know um, schematically if that was because he didn't have confidence in Baker, you know, uh, in man coverage. I don't know what happened, but we'll say this. Adrian Baker is not McKenzie Alexander, and the injury to, to Mac really, really hurt us. I mean, you don't lose what is, in my opinion, an all-American, uh, you know, one of the best cover corners in the country, and it not bother you, especially. It, look, Adrian Baker, he's a, good, he's a good player. He's improved a lot. I think he's going to be really good over the next two years for us, but he's not there yet. Yeah, he's uh, you know he's not on this stage. National yeah, this stage, isn't the moment that you want to you know get him out there and tested. I mean, Calvin Ridley didn't burn us, didn't hurt us too much here, but clearly they they found other ways to nibble and, and attack. And OJ Howard was Lane Kiffin's answer. Um, so, you know, I guess hats off to him. They found the the chink in our armor, if you will, um, with that. But just nothing more frustrating. We also had some missed tackle opportunities on third and longs. You know, those, those definitely added up. Um, but, you know, kudos, I think, to the D-line. Um, Kevin Dodd played out of his mind. What a season he's had. Um, I think coming into the year, we were, we were a little bit worried about the, across that entirety of the D-line. You know, we were confident in Shaq Lawson, and he certainly had a phenomenal year. But Kevin Dodd, you know, great stuff from him. I just think, you know, we sacked Jake Coker five times. We had several tackles for loss. It just seemed like we were always one more play away, like one more, even keep them short of the chains. And um, it's not like they were converting every single third down, but you know they they certainly got them when they counted. Right, and part of that was you know excellent play calling by Lane Kiffin. I'll say we couldn't, you know, we had tackles for loss, we did have some sacks. 
I think that was because uh, a byproduct of Coker just not being a very mobile quarterback. Right. I'll say this. I, I think Shaq Lawson, we saw him. He played. I was watching. I had my eye on him the whole game because I wanted to see what he could bring um, with that sprained MCL. And he looked good. He, he fought through it. I have to think he was probably playing at about 70%. He just couldn't. He just didn't have the explosiveness. And that's not to say he didn't play well. He, he did a, had a great, um, great game. He did get some penetration. But 100% Shaq Lawson. Could have been, he could have changed the whole game, in my opinion. I think he could have yeah. taken away that whole side, set the edge, and he would have got some, some more penetration in times where we weren't able to take Coker down. Right. He, he would have been the guy that would have got to him. Just like Dodd, like you said, Dodd, <clears throat> unbelievable performance, unbelievable player development story. And, and, you know, Clark and Tiger said it, like, you know, we've got to a level where we're taking guys, they come in and they're, you know, they, they're not even, they don't have a chance to sniff the NFL. Well, you know, Dodd's an NFL player now. So what a year he's had. And anyway, just the whole de- defensive line was unbelievable. And to have that kind of performance and still not be able to follow that into a victory again, it's why, that's why it's seen so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the interior of the line did a great job too. Derek Henry. I mean, certainly we had that one lapse play where he had a 50 yard touchdown in the first quarter. Um, that one hurt and man, to be in the stadium for that really sucked having to put up with, um, their band and their pom-poms and all that stuff going on (laughs) was brutal. But if you take away that 50 yard run, um, he only averaged three yards of carry, which is pretty pedestrian overall. And, um, he only put up 30 yards in the second half, which is normally when Derrick Henry, you know, puts the clamp down and that's when they, they run it with him. So. Alabama got it done though. They they put up their points. They had twenty four points in the second quarter or in the fourth quarter. Um, they they just got it done in that in that last frame um, when we they found a way to not not need Henry to, to beat us. Right, and I'll I'll look to I'd like to look to TJ Green and Jaron Curse. And again, I'm going to skew some venom a little bit because like, I'm, this is you know we're, we're there's some raw emotion here, and we have so much of a, you know respect for the players and everybody involved in this year and how great of a year it was. Um, so we have that perspective, but right now we're living in the moment. And I look at those two guys, and I think they're great players, they're great athletes, but they showed how raw and how their instincts need so much development, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're both they're both flirting with the NFL, and I, I think. It, if you're a scout, yeah, you're gonna like their measurables. They, they got length. They got they got a good forty pound. But man, uh, you know, looking at a guy like Robert Smith, who had none of those, most you know, physical attributes, but had such great instincts. Like man, I, I mean, after last night, I take a guy like Robert Smith over with T.J. Green any day. And again, T.J. Green loved him. I think he'll be better. I think he'll get better. I think he needs to come back to school for another year. And you know. Degree aside, like the whole like come back for your senior year, it's your senior year. All that aside, the dude needs to come back and become a better football player. Right. And it, it was it was and same with Jaron first, and it was illustrated by last night's game. Mm-hmm. And I think there's kind of a there's a duality here of the, the narrative coming out of the game from Clem, the Clemson side is, you know, cool. This was great to get to this point, but we're still hungry, and we you know we'll see you in Tampa. Like we we fully expect to have success next year, um, and be back in this position to play for a title next season. You've got that mentality going on. Then you've got these these juniors who are making this decision um, to go pro or not. I mean, it's obviously not Jaron Curse at the front of the bus yelling, "We'll be back next year." If it was, you know, he would lock in his commitment. Um, but you know, and maybe that's kind of the coaches doing their their best pitch um, to bring the players back. But uh, yeah, I. I think I agree with you. I, I would say down the stretch, um, actually for both of those guys, I mean, you had TJ Green with the targeting call in the ACC title game, um, and then J. Ron, I think, kind of faded. He had some lapses on some plays, both in this game and in the North Carolina game, um, that definitely hurt us. So, um, yeah, probably not, not our best, best area. How much would you, you know, you were crediting Brent Venables earlier, developing the safety play. Um, I know we had Corin Wiggins go down. He was basically going to be that kind of nickel safety. And TJ Green stepped up um, in his absence, right, for the most part. Right, right. So, um, you know, to have, yeah. A, yeah, to have a starter go down, you know, that's tough. But I guess to what degree would you like to see Brent Venables coaching up at the secondary in that development? <laughs> um, well, that, I have to say that's on, that's on uh, Mike Reed. And I think he, I mean, you can look at the contrast. 
he's done a great job with his cornerbacks. I think both through development and um, just having some natural talent. And you have a Matt, you have a Mac Alexander. You don't have to do a lot of coaching, right? But uh, you know, look at look at Tankersley, look at Adrian Baker, look at Gary Peters from last year. You've seen improvement. You've seen progression from the cornerbacks. If you look at the safeties, it's I don't I don't put that on him. I think Mike Reed's an excellent coach. I think he's an upgrade over um, I guess Harbison. I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway, I think he's done an excellent job. Um, you can't teach instincts. You just can't teach that. And and unfortunately, Jaron Curse and and uh, TJ Green have all the instincts in the world. Or I'm sorry, I have all the the talent in the world, the athleticism, the the size, the measurables that will make NFL scouts drool. But you know, on that level, the NFL level, like a lot of those guys have a lot of those same physical attributes, but they have instincts too. It's something they just need to come back. Really, they need to come back to school and, and invest in watching our film and looking at how they can be better. And I, and I, maybe I'm I'm seeing it with like you know uh, you know too much of a, a, the lens of a Clemson fan that you know thinks that we want to come back and for redemption. But I mean, there's really something to be said for it. I mean, do you want to be a third round draft pick, or do you want to propel yourself? for a number one round draft pick. And next year at Clemson University, we're going to have a platform every game almost, not the Wake Forest of the world, but most games, you're going to have a platform to you know, showcase your talents. Yeah. We're going to get a lot of a lot of coverage. Again, I, I think those guys showed this in, that, in this game with all those blown coverages and the lack of instincts, they need to come back to, for more seasoning. Yeah, it's a very good point. I think that's the, and we could talk about this in a moment here, but that's the, the upside, I guess, of, you know, I read a, a tweet saying, like, in this loss, Clemson showed it belonged as, like, considered to be an elite program. We've kind of arrived in the upper echelon of college football teams. And my first thought was, that's what they were saying about Iowa um, when they <laughs> lost a close one in Michigan State. And I think what that means is you could instantly, like, this respect has been very hard-earned and it's easily given back and lost. And I think that's where this Auburn game um, we just have to come out and, you know, kick some ass in that game and um, take what's rightfully ours back from the SEC um, in that one. But beyond that, I think you're right. Like we will, we have gotten. I mean, we're we're a preseason number one from a lot of people's like initial top fives. Like Kirk Herbstreet put that out there. A lot of other writers um, as well. And that is going to get you know Clemson's going to go a lot of. We're going to have a target on our back that I don't think we actually did this season. And yeah, we were the um, college football playoff committee's number one wire to wire during the final five or six weeks of the season. But that's not the same as having Notre Dame come in and us be the number one team or having to go to Auburn as number one on the road for the, for the kickoff game of the year. Um, so that's going to be an added, added level of pressure, but I think you're right. And you'll get that exposure to the point where they should be able to, they should think about that with their development and with their ability to impress scouts, which I think is the point you're making. Yeah, right. And look, like, you already have Shaq Lawson. I, I look at our defense. I look at our whole team. You know the guys that are eligible to declare, and I think of Shaq Lawson. I you know go make money, man. You're you have developed every year you've been at Clemson. You are a professional player. Like your technique is well beyond your years. Um, you're obviously you have the you know the desirable size to be a really good defensive end. Uh, I think the only other guy on our team that stands out to me like I would be okay if you went to the NFL would be McKenzie Alexander. Yeah. And there's a case that could be made, mm-hmm. a very good case, that, that he should come back because uh, there's a bevy of good quarterbacks this year. And, and unfortunately, I don't it, maybe it's a lack of credit. Maybe he does, like his one weakness um, is, is, is ball skills. He doesn't have interception, and that's, there's something to that. Like There is an element of like you need to turn around and, and catch the ball, and that's a, his weakness. And I think you know, he's going to be a second-round draft pick if he, if he goes right now. Um, you come back, you become a first-round draft pick again – Degree aside, college degree aside, senior year aside, there's money, there's a business case to come back and come that to get that first round draft money uh, and, and the guarantee money that it comes with. So anyway, going back to the, the players coming back, I think Mac and Shaq, if they go, it's okay. Everyone else needs to come back, man. They they need to come back by a long stretch, and they, they have a lot more to gain uh, than to lose by than by the, uh, declaring early. And you know, you you also don't want to discount how much fun it could be next year with Clemson getting the respect with the momentum we've got and with a great recruiting class coming in as well. Um, maybe these players are hungry. Maybe they did sniff the national championship and they actually want to see this thing through. Um, I, I definitely have to believe draft grades will come into play. Um, I know sometimes there are going to be some deception there too. Um, and guys just, you know, they want to take care of their family and, and set up for, um, you know, one play could kind of 
cut all that short. So I definitely understand and get that. But um, there's a lot of upside too. So. Right. Yeah. And you, yeah. Look, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I can't speak to what's going on for, with the family. So it's not fair for me to say that, it, you know, if they can change their family's life and become a millionaire, by all means, go do it. Um, but yeah, like you said, you can have a chance to be a national championship. And again, the business case, yeah, I'm sorry, national champion. And the, and the business case being that you can improve your stock to the point where you'll get more guaranteed money. Um, and, you know, a front office that invests into a first round draft pick, they're, it's, there's something to be said for that too because yeah. they, they invest. You're, you're their first round draft pick. They're going to give you more. They're going to give you a longer leash. We'll say that. If you're a third round pick and you you, you get in trouble, you come out, you're not you don't live up to what they hope. You know, you're gone. So anyway, that, that's just kind of my thinking. Um, Dabo did say he, he said you know it took us 34 years, but we'll be back. We'll be back a lot sooner than that. And I guarantee it. And I, I believe that. And I know that sounds like you know. Raw Rock Clemson, but I really believe we will be back, and I think it will be next year. Um, and I think what was in, I was thinking about all the teams that I can think of, and I'm sure there's more. Maybe you can think of a, a few extra, but that come up short. That have come up short in one year, and then the next year with the same core, a little bit more motivated, and they they get a championship. And like most recently, I think of like the Kansas City Royals, who lost in seven games to the San Francisco Giants in 2014, 2015-1. I thought of. Um, well, I I immediately jumped to the Seahawks, who lost to the Atlanta Falcons in 2011, basically the 2012 playoff run, and then came back a year later and won the Super Bowl, and had right. had a great and, run. <clears throat> and I, and I, I, I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say I think in college a lot of times what you see happen is a team that falls short. That team is stocked with with a senior quarterback or a junior quarterback that's going into the league. You know, their top playmakers across the board are you know, moving on or graduating or getting drafted. I think in Clemson's case, especially on this offense, I mean, outside of some guys on the O-line that are, gonna, that are graduating, um, I think we're bringing everybody back. We heard last night Jordan Leggett committed to coming back to Clemson uh, for his senior year. So O-line, or the entire offense is going to be back to Sean Watson's back um, for his junior year, and that, that's a difference here between – you know, the Marcus Mariota team last year for Oregon falling short, um, or that Auburn team two years ago to Jameis and Florida State. Um, Nick Marshall and those guys went into the league. So, um, right. I, I, that's it. it. Yeah, it's a little different with, with college generally versus the, you know, the pros, but you do, you, we present a scenario with the best salesman, the best recruiter, <laughs> who is not just about you know, seeking out the high school recruits, it's retaining players to get them to come back. Is Dabo Sweeney, and I hope he's in a lot of the players' ears, uh, not for just you know the gain of Clemson, but for them as well. But yeah, looking at um, looking at Deshaun Watson, man, like Mike Williams coming back. Deshaun Watson started out the year. Well, first of all, go back, let's go back to his freshman year. Like Deshaun flashes the brilliance. Uh, he did some some things really great, and you know, yeah, could he sustain it? Had he stayed healthy, I don't know. He started out this year. He looked really shaky. You saw you saw that he's a good player. But man, by the, from the, the starting product to the end product, like he, unbelievable. Like he's taken two. Man. I think he's taken two steps forward this year, and the, the last two games. And um, I mean, I you know he had a he had a tremendous. I I think my favorite Deshaun Watson performances this year were NC State and Alabama. Um, what he did at the end of the second half or the first half um, against NC State, and then just continuing to push the tempo and keep us ahead of a feisty NC State offense, totally crucial. And then to put 405 yards up on that Alabama defense, it wasn't just that he was racking up you know, deep balls either. Um, a lot of it was not dink and dunk, but having to have perfect throws that NFL-level quarterbacks, not even all, I mean, shoot, right now, how many teams in the league would Deshaun Watson start for in the NFL? <laughs> I mean, um He's probably yeah, starting for 15 teams in the league at this point. He's probably a middle-of-the-right NFL quarterback. Yeah, I think he's getting – I think if he wasn't already – and I, by the way, I've heard coming in this game how, you know, people are going to learn about Deshaun Watson for the first time. And, you know, I'm living in a Clemson bubble. I don't, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a yeah. casual fan of college football. But are you kidding Cody, me? Cody, you're a podcast host. I, I, yeah, I cover a podcast for Clemson Athletics. So, yeah, that makes sense. But really, this is the first time you've heard of Deshaun Watson. This is yeah. the first game you've watched. Like, 
They, right, we're not a Mac that. school, yeah. right? We're not like it's, he's not like the quarterback for Navy. Like I can understand if you don't watch that guy play, but you know he's he's had highlights all year, last year as well. He was a Heisman candidate. Like what's going on here? Right. There, there's an article by an SI writer, and I, I can't. You know, maybe I should push it as a link it to the podcast website, but where he talks about how Christian McCaffrey needs to be the face of college football for next year. And he goes on to say that aside from Derrick Henry, no one in the college playoff, uh, you know, has the same trend, uh, uh, what's the word, transcendental or uh, can transcend college football the way that, you know, aside from Derrick Henry, that uh, McCaffrey can. And it's like, clearly this guy doesn't know about Sean Watson, but, uh, you know, of course, across the nation, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. They've learned about Sean Watson for the first time last night. Yeah. And it's not, he's not, he's not Cam Newton. He's not Marcus Mariota. Like, he's probably the most polished passer of this, you know, this dual threat evolving types, sorry, no huddle, spread offenses, uh, spread offense mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, revolution that we've seen in college football. He is the best that, that's been. Hey, Cam Newton, you can make an argument for him because he was so dominant running the ball, but you're talking about a guy that can make plays with his legs and is a Andrew Luck-level passer with that, in terms of accuracy. Uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm spewing, or I'm, I'm glowing too much. Go ahead. <laughs> And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna counter that with any criticism. I think one one aspect that, and I know Cam Newton is playing a, a role of mentor to Deshaun Watson here. Um, and another bit of news came out today: Deshaun and Derrick Henry caught up after the game. Um, I, apparently, they're gonna try to work out together in the offseason. I, I imagine Henry will be preparing for the draft. So for Deshaun to earn the respect of the Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama, um, to go through that kind of pre-draft preparation, I think it's going to be amazing. And he's got Cam as a mentor. That's all good stuff. I think one thing he's got to work on is the durability that both of those players have shown. And whether that's hitting the weight room hard or another type of preparation, I think that's an aspect that can take Deshaun's already elite level game to yet another level. Um, if he becomes just that bruising, that bruising type of runner, that not only can he be shifty, right. but if he can go and get those, I mean, basically kind of what Taj Boyd gave you, right? If he had the durability and the um, kind of Ben Roethlisberger, I'm, I'm just dropping names here, but if he kind of yeah. if he added that to his game, like, my goodness. I think he proved, he proved something that none of us, anyone in college sports or Clemson will think of, but what NFL scouts were looking at, and it has nothing to do with, like, throwing or, or uh, the, his accuracy. It has to do with... Um, Poise, his ability right? to, well, his poise, but when he had these NFL level players running at him for Alabama, he was, he had high levels of self-preservation. Like he was getting down right. a lot quicker mm-hmm. in the Alabama game than he was in the Oklahoma game. And guys like Jay Cutler and Michael Vick just never learned, hey man, you got to protect yourself. Yeah. And it was RG3. Like Watson, yeah. RG3, RG3 is like a great, the text, great textbook example. example. Yeah. And I think it, it, it comes down to instinct and just this, yeah, it's something that can't really be taught. And he's got that. And, you know, all year we've, beginning of the season, it was like, can he stay healthy? Can he be durable? And, um, you know, he, apparently he studied and he's learned how to, how to evade and go down at the right moments. So that was very good to see. I think that was a, in the back of my mind, a concern in this game is what if this front seven gets after him and he gets banged up and nicked and and knocked out. So um, anyway, newsflash to Sean Watson's really good. And that's I think that's I think where just this loss becomes that much harder to take because he had a, such a phenomenal game. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to say like let's not forgive the special teams players or for the for the lapses in the, on the defensive side with the tight end play. Um, it's something that's probably gonna it's gonna stick in our craw for a while here. But I mean, I'm gonna put a little bit of a bow on this, Cody. We took Alabama down to the wire. I mean, they're they're in this historic dynastic run right now and they needed everything to beat us. They needed to resort to running trick plays. They needed a special teams touchdown to beat us. Um, and they needed a tight end to go for 200 yards to beat us. And, um, that was without our two best deep threats. And that was without our best cover corner. who's basically, like you said, an all American, um, for a story program like Alabama to need all of those things to go in their favor. Plus a little bit of referee stuff. Um, I think just speaks volumes to this Clemson team in this season. I take some solace in that, but it it's definitely tough. Tough pill to swallow. Yeah, 
I, I, I agree. I think I'll, again, I think I'll appreciate it a little bit more as we, as we go, but and you never want to like the consolation prize. There's, there's no silver lining, at least not right away. Yeah. I, there's a solace that I can find <laughs> when you know, it, again, if you knew we were getting blown out and it'd be okay, but we, like you said, there were on so many levels, I think we were better than them. And what, what surprised me was that not only did we match up with them in the trenches, I think we won the trenches. Like we won against the uh, historically that I've said, historically good defensive line and the best offensive line in the country. And I think we won that matchup. Anyway, that's what makes it tough. Um, I will say maybe just touch a little bit on special teams. Is um, where do you hold on? At, let me ask you a question yeah. about it. Your Dabo Sweeney, you wake up today after that shellacking in the Orange Bowl. To West Virginia, he quickly moved on from Kevin Steele. We don't necessarily have, I mean, we've got kind of a, a patch, patchwork of coaching going on on special teams. Do you think Dabo needs to make some executive decisions here to shore up special teams, appoint a coach dedicated there, and make this a focus? Yeah, I think, I think he, knows it. he knows that he needs to make some changes. I think he's known for the whole year that he needs to make changes. But um, he, but he, but he didn't. One of his best attributes as a coach is that you know he fired Billy, Billy Napier as soon as he got hired. He let you know let Rob Spence go. He's made some very tough decisions. You know, obviously, like you said, he let Kevin Still go, and he's made all the right decisions. And from what he was when he first started as a coach to what he is now is two completely different things. He has gotten so much better. His development alone as a coach, and I, I, I would be so. There's no way. There's not a chance in hell that he doesn't completely not only turn this special teams situation around next year, but where it's at least average, it's going to be elite. Talk about like best is standard. Well, but it's not holding up for special teams. Something needs to, something needs to change. And I think I said at the end of at the beginning of the year, maybe it was in a preseason show that we did. It's like, he's wearing an Armani suit. He's got on, you know, the nicest shoes that you can possibly have. He's got a hundred dollar haircut. Well, he has a piece of toilet paper on his shoe, and he's dragging it around. And that's our special team, that piece of toilet paper. Like, everything looks great. Pitch and detail has gotten so much better. But you, you can't, I mean, you got to just take the piece of toilet paper off. <laughs> that's right. Or he's wearing, you know, beat-up shoes, more or less. Um, right. Yeah, right. and it just, you know, that, that goes credit to Nick Saban and, and their team. Like, they found the weaknesses in this team. They found our Achilles heels, and they exploited it. And... I think when we, and that's something we've done in our 14 wins of the year, we found we were able to squeeze teams, you know, at their, at their weak points. Um, and that one caught up to us. I think what we saw in the 2015 season, and, you know, this isn't our overall end-all, be-all season recap comment here, but um, we saw our offense improve from something like 66 in the country to a top 10 offense. And we saw the defense go from number one to still a top 10 as well. Um, I think if, if we can keep those, you know, in the same zone, I think our offense could even be, you know, number one, number two in the country. You might even get some like Baylor's or Houston's that eclipse us, but we're definitely going to be top five. If we can't, if we get some of these juniors to come back, we've got some amazing freshmen that are coming in that are, that are going to get snaps next year, um, and just develop if we keep defense good. And then you add some special teams improvement. Um, I don't know that our schedule is getting tougher next year. I think it's getting tougher from the fact that we've got to win our hard games on the road. But um, I think we're, we're in a good spot. And if we can make that same leap like we did from the 66th offense to a top 10 offense like we did this year, if we can make a similar jump in special teams play and clean some of this stuff up, you know, that can be what pushes you over the edge. No, I, I totally agree. It's the one thing, like you said, that Nick Saban, you can go in, you can exploit that weakness, and he did. And to the, to the extent that it shifted the whole game, whereas we're beating them on offense, we're beating them on defense, but uh, over uh, special teams, that was the deciding factor. Yep. Uh, anyway, never would have guessed it, but you're right. I think we'll, we'll clear that up. On offense, I think we're in just an amazing shape for next year to, to have the best offense in the nation. You know, you can, like you said, the Houston's and Baylor's of the world might put up better numbers, but uh, their offensive line is not going to probably be to the level of ours. Yeah. Um, you know, Clacken Tiger, I was asking, do you think our offensive line can improve next year? Because we are losing Joe Gore, senior, uh, you know, at right tackle. We're losing Mc McLean at left tackle or at left guard. Uh, but he was very confident that we'll be better. I think he made some good points because 
you know, we got a lot of guys coming through. Mitch Hyatt will be a year more developed. Uh, Jake Morgan will be, you know, will make that two tackle combination one of the best in the country. And, you know, you have guys that are getting like depth guys like Taylor Hearn, uh, Maverick Morris might start, but um, uh, Justin Fasnelli. Anyway, the list goes on. We're, we're, we're in a position to have a better offensive line. That's your foundation. You have Deshaun Watson. He's your um, your go-to guy. And then, obviously, if Wayne Gallman and Leggett come back, then, yeah, it's going to be maybe a historically good offense. Yeah, I think signs are looking good for Wayne Gallman. Um, we know that Leggett's coming back, too. So, <clears throat> good things. But I think, you know, wh- where we are after this game, at least where I am, it's like, it's, for me, it's, it's possible to be devastated, but also hopeful and also grateful for this good year. I, I just, over the course of today and last night, I've just been flowing between, you know, de- devastation or just gut punch mode and, man, man, what a fun run. And I'm just, basically, I'm just coming out of that exhausted. I mean, it was such a getting so amped up walking into that stadium and just, like, so focused on every play of the game. Um, it took a lot out of me. <laughs> and I think it was just building up throughout the whole season, like, you know, this has been basically almost six months of of solid college football here. The best run we've seen as fans. And it's going to take a while to put it all in perspective. We're going to remember this team and this run and this year forever. Um, but, man, it's it's a tough way to go out. Yeah, it's never fun finishing number two, but... Again, I think I think we're in good shape next year. We don't have to talk all about next year, but there, you know, Davos said we will. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he said it. Did he say we'll see you in Tampa? Uh, he definitely said, you know, we'll 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 get back to you know we'll get back there again. It won't be thirty four years, so that's important. Um, I think I think every Clemson fan said see you in Tampa, walking out of that stadium. So were you guys chanting ACC? <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll make one comment that you know, has also been, my brother and I were talking about this as we walked out. Um, It seemed, so Alabama, this is their fourth title in, what is it, eight years, seven years? Uh, Impressive run, obviously. You know, those Alabama fans, and this wasn't true of all of them, but they didn't seem to have the joy. They didn't seem to even really, you know, be all that happy about this win. And I think that's the, I don't want to call it like the risk of being all that successful, but man, how sad is that? That you can't revel in this victory and what your team just did. And they had an incredible team and they got it done and good for them. You know, that to me was just like, are you kidding me? Like you have to, like, what's the point? Why are you a fan if you're not going to celebrate your biggest moments, your most crowning achievement? Heisman winner, national championship. Like, what more do you want? That's interesting because, you know, Lane Kiffin was talking about Nick Saban, and it probably starts from him, and it trickles down throughout their their fan base. He said, what's going to happen if you win a national championship? And I think, I think Lane Kiffin said this. He said, Nick, Nick Saban will hold up the trophy. He'll, you know, he'll be happy, and then he'll, he'll hand it off to someone else, and then he'll get back to work for next year. And then they'll have a 7.30 meeting in the morning and get prepared for, like, recruiting and everything for 2016. And it's like, it's the same thing that Brent Venables talked about in Oklahoma, where it's like, you just want to win. And if you do win, then good. That was the expectation, but there's no celebration behind it. You know, Clemson, we're having pizza parties when we make it to the, uh, the, the college football playoffs. So, I, you know, it's, it's certainly a contrast between the coaching styles. And, I, you know, I, it's another reason to love Dabo and everything and, and understand how special this season is and, and really having him as our leader. Uh, you know, one of the, I think if, if he hasn't proven it already, the, one of the premier coaches in college football, and you know, I'm, I'm sure, sure he'll get paid, you know, accordingly after after this year. But it's something we can really take pride in. And, yeah, man, you know, what what a heck of a year! I listened to the Solid Verbals uh, preview episode. They were recording that live from somewhere in Phoenix, and um, I, you know, the the conversation came up like, where would they calibrate Dabo among the elite of coaches if he won this game? And I think our team outside of, the, again, the lapses, did enough to win this game, or at least we were, we're very much there. We can beat anybody um, if we get the right game together. But they, they didn't exactly like structure their tiers out where we, we got a straight answer, but they're mentioning things like, how can he be an elite coach? They, they let West Virginia score 70. That was five years ago, and it's not all about, like, is Dabo 
a tactical mastermind. No, he is not. Is he, he? He's not even what I would consider to be like an offensive genius either. But what he does goes goes so much deeper than that. And he's basically CEO of this program. He's um, a masterful recruiter. He's super humble. He's identified where Clemson needs to get better, and he's gone out and made the right hires. You know, found ways to utilize athletes, mo- motivate, etc. He's not a glorified cheerleader. He is. Right, I think that's some of the criticism the South Carolina fans bring. I think I, I'm agreeing with you. I think Dabo is one of the best coaches in the country, but for reasons that are different than why David Shaw is celebrated, Urban Meyer, and you know some of these other guys that are maybe one tier below or below Nick Saban. Right, and you talk about Nick Saban is like his his key ingredient. It's his level of organization and attention to detail. And Dabo's sweet, man. He you know and the resources though. I mean, if you, yes, I agree. I think they call it the process, the Nick Saban process and how obsessed they are and how giant their staff is. I think that the Nick Saban attention to detail combined with Alabama's deep pockets and resources and, you know, tradition and everything like that, it, it's basically almost an unbeatable advantage at this point. Right. And you could look at it like, you know, just to speak to their success, like, right, you know, take Nick Saban to, uh, I don't know, like Indiana, and you can't get five-star players and four-star players, you know, right. throughout the roster. You know, it becomes a lot more difficult. Your offensive line doesn't get a push. Your defensive line doesn't get penetration. But what we saw in this game is, yeah, Clemson has the talent. They've, they've proven they can go up against some of the big guys and, and land these big-time recruits. But the, the fact of the matter is they got those same five- and four-star guys playing on special teams. Yes. Um, they, got, they got guys that can – And they have like, rotations, but, right? Like they can – if their Mackenzie Alexander counterpart goes down, they can replace him with, you know, someone that's eighty-five percent as good, versus exactly, you know, two years behind that. So that, that was exactly my thought was Mackenzie Alexander. We lose him and that, just change the whole dynamic of the game, and they they really do have a next man up. So anyway, yeah, going back to what what Nick Saban brings to the table, a lot of it is talent acquisition. You know, I'm not saying I could be successful with uh, their talent, but I, I do. <laughs> I could, I could, I can make Alabama a top twenty-five team if you give me all those five-star recruits. I'll play that. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, I think I've exhausted my my ability to talk about this game. Um, you know, happy to have gone as a team, as an as a fan. Happy I was there to see it in person. Um, you but, saw two games this year, right? You saw the Notre Dame game and the yes, title. yes, completely different. Uh, the, the weather was beautiful. In Glendale yesterday, Notre Dame was was not um, in in Clemson, but um, you know, two very hard fought came down to the final minute game. So I definitely got my money's worth on both of those trips. But um, yeah, man, that's it, it, it's a, yeah tough way tough way to walk away to a great year. And I think we'll we'll be reporting on a lot of things, and um, you know, certainly the the optimism and the positive uh, kind of takes will, will start to come, uh, we'll, you know, as we, as we go into the offseason, recruiting wrap, uh, runs down or wraps up, uh, you know, we'll have a lot more for optimism. But right now, man, again, uh, we love our program. We love our team. But, you know, that, that, that it's still it's a gut shot. And um, we want to just kind of have that roll motion and just, you know, be, be a little bit miserable for a day or two or a week or however long it takes you. But ultimately, we, we'll, we'll flip the corner or, you know, we'll, we'll start to turn 2016 and great things ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps to talk through this, too. I mean, I think to – last night, right after the game, we were rehashing, like, some of our, you know, favorite moments and plays. We're like, oh, man, one more of these, or a ball bounces our way and we get this game. But um, even to go through some of the, the negative stuff, I mean, I think for me has been helpful. But, you know, it, it's a process, right? Right, just let's let's improve special teams, which by Davos track record, I think I can confidently say it will be improved. Um, I you know I don't know if people will be fired, but things will change uh, going into next year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, uh, guys, we're gonna wrap this one up. Um, we're gonna come back to you guys in the next four or five days with um, we'll do basketball teams been been winning. They're on a three game ACC winning streak, uh, which is incredible. I think some people, including us, or at least me, we're leaving them for dead in the ACC. 
um, and they've shown you know some definite life as of late. I think they face number nine Duke uh, on Wednesday this week. So we'll we'll recap that, kind of give a you know quarter season or mid season breakdown. Um, ben has been paying the most attention of all of us, so we'll get him back on to talk through that. Um, also, just want to hear about Ben's kind of parting thoughts on this game, and um, we'll all probably you know with a few days more perspective and recovery time and et cetera, drowning our sorrows, um, be able to put a bow on the season. So stay tuned for that. We'll probably get some more commitments um, for either staying put at Clemson or going to the league um, in the next few days. I think the, the de- declaration deadline's next Monday. Um, so we should have some, some news and enlightening answers on that stuff. And then of course, National Signing Day is coming up as well. Um, we've got a few names coming onto campus. Hopefully we can, we can turn and close. Um, it's going to be kind of a race to the wire for some of these guys. So um, it's all about restocking the cupboard as well and continuing to pad our four-star, five-star stats and you know replace the guys that go into the league. So um, a lot more to come from the podcast. I think we've, we've had a lot of fun this season. We appreciate everybody tuning in, subscribing, listening. Um, you know, It's been really a big investment from us, and it's been a lot of fun keeping track of this team. We picked kind of a good year. Um, to start a podcast. So Cody, thanks for thanks for rallying it. It's been good. Yeah, I, I hope I hope people have appreciated it and I hope we've gotten better over the course of the year just like a, like our football team has. So <laughs> it's not just uh, it's not just a one sided affair. Um, we're having fun. Hopefully hopefully you guys have fun listening. Yeah, you know, just like the football team, we'll train some in the off season and hope to get better by next next football season. But um, we're gonna probably cut back on the frequency a little bit. Um, certainly keep track of all the events going on with our our sporting teams, but probably more like um, every couple weeks, that kind of thing. So stay tuned. You know, continue to subscribe. You won't miss anything. And um, you know, we hope to talk to you guys soon. Cody, any any last thoughts? No, just um, give me give me a few days to be sad, and then we look forward to National Science Day. We look forward to start um, you know start to peak into 2016 because you know we've already talked about it a little bit, but it's the future is bright. Um, I, I'd be surprised if we're not a you know top two, three team next year. And um, hey, we have the best quarterback in college football, maybe one of the best quarterbacks in the last like 10, 20 years. So uh, things aren't that bad at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, for now we'll get over this one. So thanks again, everybody. Uh, we'll talk with you soon, and go Tigers. <laughs>